my mum's four foot eleven and dad's six two, and I was on the four foot eleven side for a long time. So I was one of the smallest guys in my high school. Well, it's quite interesting because while I've had a lot of jobs, I've never really had a real job. I've never had a formal formal job. I've always been self employed or self unemployed, like <laughs> self fun employed yeah I wouldn't know that one. <laughs> like i believe you you can there's so many skills you can teach yourself i i mean i recently needed to learn something i couldn't find someone that could do it in the level i wanted so i taught myself i don't think i'm unsuccessful like i definitely don't but I, the moment you say oh, i'm successful i think it's when you take you for someone like my person i take your foot off the accelerator and mm. all you need is to slow down a little bit in in my game and you're very quickly not relevant welcome to the seize the yay podcast Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. So, it finally happened. We convinced Nick, my partner in life, business and golden retriever parenthood, into coming onto the show. I know a few of you out there have been eagerly waiting to hear this one, and I'm always surprised to hear when people say Nick is quiet or mysterious, but then I remember he's actually quite shy, which to some of our closer friends is totally laughable, as he's the complete opposite once you get to know him. But when I think about how he probably comes across in my Instagram stories or in take 527 of a photo together, you probably don't see much of who he really is or how we are as a couple, so I'm excited to share what I think is one of the most inspiring ways to yay so far. And one of the things I love about him most is that there are so many dimensions to his personality, but if you only know one of them, then you'll meet a few of the others in today's episode. And perhaps I'm a bit the same. We're both equal parts Nerdburger and Artie Farty, as I always say, which is probably why we're 10 years in and getting married later this year. As for Nick's bio, which I've had to write many a time, it still astounds me all the things he's managed to squeeze into his 34 years. I don't think he gives himself enough credit for most parts of the story, so I've tried to weasel some of it out of him. Starting off as a country boy in outer Devonport, Tassie, Nick's a serial entrepreneur and often laughs at how he's never actually had a real job. His first career was as an international athlete, which took him all over the world, and as mentioned in Yana's episode, he was Yana Pittman's training partner when he was on his own Olympic journey until ongoing injuries stopped his career short. On returning to Melbourne, he was poached from his retail job into the nightclub scene where he really cut his business teeth, building Baroque House into its glory days and Let Me Cue Jump, which is actually the romantic story of how we met. While there was definitely a lot of partying, I don't know if any of you saw my um, 2009 to 2019 10-year challenge, you'll see all the evidence on my Instagram, he and his team started to develop their own marketing and design skills to take things in-house, which eventually morphed into his current full-service digital agency. Agency, the Bushy Creative. Nick's self-teaching and inner dork has gone to such lengths that his tech skills ventured even as far as software development, and he's had two full-scale tech spin-offs that he talks about in the episode a bit more. He's also got an aerial asset capture business taking photos out of helicopters, of all things, and that's all before Matcha Maiden or Matcha Milk Bar were even a dot on the horizon. 
So sometimes Nick is a very serious tech head businessman, but most of the time he's a serial joker. Life is never boring when Nick's around, as you will hear in this episode. He's also the sole reason I was able to leave law for my entrepreneur life and turned this regimented conservative lawyer into a crazy adventurer. And look, his abs aren't bad either, let's be real, as you've probably noticed. <laughs> I think this was probably the hardest episode I've done so far as I'm just way too close to be objective. So hopefully I've done him justice and there's something enjoyable for you guys in this episode. Introducing Nick Davidson. So, Nikki. Hi. <laughs> As you know, I start every episode asking people what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And as much as you and I share so much on socials, I think at Nikki Boy is still a bit of a mystery to a lot of people. And I'm sure your abs are pretty intimidating to most. So can you tell us something super down-to-earth about you? Well, I'm a bit of a nerd burger, to be honest. Um, <laughs> that is so my word. <laughs> yeah, it is not. I copyright. I'm older. I'm allowed to. Um <laughs> So I've got a bit of a Lego obsession. I think over the last six months, I've built the largest two Lego sets ever made, um, and they're both on very <coughs> geeky subjects. But um, <laughs> tell us what they are. I've got a Millennium Falcon, which is five thousand seven hundred pieces from Star Wars, and then uh, <laughs> Harry Potter's Castle, um, which is six thousand pieces. Um, and I also write a lot of languages of code. Yeah, I'm a bit of a closet geek. <laughs> Well, closet to most people. I don't think it's closet to me. I know yeah, how much right. of a geek you are. <laughs> all right. So the first segment, as you know from listening to all these podcasts, is called Way TA. Mm. And I think you have one of the coolest and most diverse pathways of anyone we've interviewed so far. So can you tell us about how you ended up where you are? Because again, I forget most people have come into your life at a particular chapter without knowing the many other lifetimes that you've lived up until now. So take us back to the very beginning in Devonport, Tasmania. Sure. So I grew up in a, uh, in a town called Devonport in the country Tassie, northwest Tassie anyway, uh, about 15 minutes out of Devonport. I lived in the bush with my parents. Uh, we lived on a hundred odd acres of green belt. So it was pretty cool. Uh, dad was a builder and mum was a teacher, but dad was an amazing athlete when I was a kid and um, prior to me being born and mum was the first Asian adopted to Australia actually and she had polio in Singapore so she was struggled a bit physically but she's an absolute jet so I had a pretty pretty great upbringing down there to be honest yeah Tassie is an amazing part of the world as you know <laughs> and this is a question I love to ask were you cool at school and did you have an awkward teenage phase, which I know that you did? So tell us about that. <laughs> I was a little kid. So my mum's four foot eleven and dad's six two. And I was on the four foot eleven side for a long time. So I was pretty much the smallest one of the smallest guys in my high school up until year nine and I had a thirty centimeter growth spurt. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Hurt. <laughs> but through that whole time, yeah, no, I was never really cool. Um <laughs> In primary school, I definitely wasn't cool. In high school, I was cool by association, I think. I hung out with cool people. And then when sport became a big part of my life, I, um, yeah, I, I was more well-known, I guess. I've never really been cool. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because from the outside, I think a lot of people think you're like one of the cool guys. But it was, yeah, I didn't realize until we met that you were a late bloomer. Like you were, yeah, what, yeah. 38 kilos in year nine? 
Yeah, I was a small kid. Um, look, I was only I was sixty kilos at six foot tall at one stage. Remember? So yeah, when we met, I wasn't that light. <laughs> I was like, um, yeah. can't date this dude because he's lighter than me. <laughs> so you've also had more jobs than most, and an incredibly strong work ethic. So, what were your first jobs in Tassie? Well, it's quite interesting because while I've had a lot of jobs, I've never really had a real job. Um, <laughs> Like, I left home quite young, so I worked in restaurants from that magical day when you could at 14 and nine months when you're a little kid at like six bucks an hour or something back then. I worked in a restaurants and I worked uh, retail. I worked for Sanity back in the day, selling CDs, which you yeah, don't have many of those jobs form. anymore. <laughs> yeah, and silver service restaurants, all of that. I actually was one stage doing a full-time job and a part-time job while I was still doing my year 11, 12, while I was running pretty much professionally at the time. Like I was running interstate races, I was running... I'd made the Olympic youth team, stuff like that, and all of that at, yeah, all of that at the same time just because... But it was fine, it was normal, it was easy then. Don't know how I did it now. <laughs> well, I think your your work ethic has always shone through, and it's interesting to hear that it started when you, from such a young age. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of see your first career, like your real first profession, as athletics, which a lot of people actually don't know about. And we heard from yeah. Jana Pittman in episode sixteen that you are actually her training partner in the four hundred hurdles. JP, yes, yes, <laughs> we go way back. So, how did you go from? Smallest kid in your class to international athlete. How did that happen? Well, I've always been a bit of a smart aleck, so I learned how to run quite early. <laughs> to run yeah. away from bullies? And, yeah, and because I was short and my dad can jump, so both of us knew how to jump pretty high. So as you, if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen that. So yeah, so so growing up in Devonport, it was a really big uh, basketball town. It was, it was our, when I was a kid, it was, everything was centered around that basketball court and Dad being quite an amazing basketballer and our school being very big into basketball and my friendship group, the fact that I wasn't great at basketball was a bit disappointing really, I think, for everyone. Um, so I took up <laughs> little athletics and under 11s and I was no good at that as well, but I just there was only, wasn't many people doing it, so it was a bit of fun. Uh, and from there, I took up the hurdles because the hurdles was the easiest event to qualify for the national championships in uh, and I wanted to do high jump at the national championships, so I did the hurdles. And I came, made the national champs, and I came equal dead last <laughs> in the 400 metre hurdles at the Sydney All Schools in 1998. Equal dead last. And then I was so embarrassed because the guy that came equal dead last with me fell over. <laughs> Got up. I was so embarrassed that I trained my backside off. And the next year, I got second in the national championships um, in the 400 meter hurdles and then the career kind of went on from then. And so turning it from you know under 11s at school to an actual professional career that was when you moved to Melbourne you moved out of Tassie into Melbourne to pursue your career how did you kind of turn it from a school time hobby into something were you scouted or how did you get to Yana? Athletics is an interesting one because it's not like football or basketball where you've got to be seen and you've got to see how they play and stuff like that it's it's very numbers game it's what times you run essentially and it's quite difficult in hurdles to run those times on your own so you had to kind of get out and do races with other people in it because it's uh, I was very very lucky I had friends that were very high up in different organizations and stuff that got me into races I probably shouldn't have gotten into because I knew I could do it and 
I proved them right and it was good most of the time. And yeah, I was very lucky. And look, Yana was instrumental in that journey. She helped pull me out of Devonport when I was in a bit of a lull before the 04 Olympics. And we trained in Melbourne very, very hard. And, and then I moved to Switzerland with her and we trained really hard in Switzerland. And I can confirm that those chocolate wrappers were mine in the car that day. <laughs> but There's a story in episode 16 that you guys could go and listen to if you haven't heard it already about how Yana had a really, really strict food diary and every time she would want something, she'd get Nick to order it and it wouldn't yeah. count and, and then she'd just eat it all. <laughs> and she got in trouble for eating some chocolates and the coach came out and said, you're not going to get into the Olympics if you, know, you eat all the chocolates and it was Nick. <laughs> it was me. It was, it was anyway, so... From there, running through Switzerland, did a lot of running in Italy, um, then moved to the UK, yeah, in between injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was an interesting journey. And it's funny because I know you've got such unrelenting standards for yourself that even looking back on your career now, you're like, oh, it was nothing. But you were running professionally on the athletic circuit in Europe, getting paid enormous amounts to fly all around to yeah, different countries, well, to different races. Enormous amounts for me then, so I think. Like, it was like <laughs> pretty awesome to have getting an appearance fee. But, I mean, you were like yeah. training for the Olympics. and Yeah, so the hard thing for me was the way I trained and the times I'd do in training and – the potential that was there, I never really got out and raced. I choked a lot. I had a lot of issues with um, uh, choking. I think I was ranked in the top three in the country for about eight years, and in that time, I only won one national title. Yeah, so I've got – there's an article about written about me once that said, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, which was oh, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> it was true, though. Like, I, was, I had a real issue with it, and in hindsight, it was a real mental – it was, it was a real psychological thing. And, look, it's fine. I'm, I'm comfortable with it all now. I'm comfortable with the fact that I stopped when I did. It's just – I just – I don't get too hung up on it because I know I could it, – it frustrates me that I couldn't do what I should have done. Mm. Um, I mean, two posterior cruciates, eight hamstring tears, two adductor magnus, magnus tears, obviously like any junior athlete, shin splints and stuff mm. like that, a couple of stress fractures. I mean, all of that from 16 to 22 is is pretty hard on the body. Yeah, but look, I had a great time. And Yana gave us the rush of an international race, the blow-by-blow in episode 16, which gave me goosebumps. It was one of the coolest things because I've never really heard someone explain something so foreign to me in such detail. So... When we listened to it together in the car, you sort of seemed to be like transporting back to that time. Yeah. What do you agree with? Yeah, look, it's like, really, are... it's really accurate. I mean, that silence when you step, you get you just before set is just deafening, mm. and then that noise when when the gun goes is like it might not be that loud in the stadium, but it, to you, it's so loud, and mm. then it is, it's a blur. Um, what people don't really know about the 400 hurdles is you know how many strides you take for the race. You know how many steps to the first hurdle. You know how many steps all the way between each hurdle and everything like that. And if the gust of wind comes up and you're not concentrating and you don't know you're going to change down legs or something like that, I mean, it's a big deal. So you've really got to be focused on yourself. Mm. Um, she was a phenomenal athlete, though. Absolute monster to train with. <laughs> What did she say? She's like, I'm a unit. I'm like I'm a massive unit. <laughs> the funniest the funniest thing was the first day I turned up to train with her. Um the um we did run throughs, which is just starting off in a jog and just getting faster and faster. And we got to the end of the first run through and she's keeled over, breathing heavily like she's just like I'm like, Oh my god, she's so unfit. But I just learnt that 
she does that every time and then she absolutely spanked me for that first couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm sure your competitive streak served you well in that time yeah, to make you train harder. I was going through growth spurts at the time, so I was all right. <laughs> so I do want to come back to some of the challenges that you went through in the NATI section sure. in pivoting from that area of life where, you know, everything is so metric, as you mentioned, numbers. Mm. It's a numbers game. Moving out of that, I know it was quite difficult, but... Just while we're still on way TA, can you tell us, you know, your I think injury was a big factor in in retiring and then frustration at the whole bridesmaid thing. But then you've since been able to reinvent yourself incredibly since then. And that started when you moved back to Australia in 2007. Yeah, that's right. So 2007, I came back to Australia. I had all grand intentions of maybe doing the whole law lawyer thing or doing a I don't know. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. Then just got a summer job when I got back and I got picked up. I met this dude and sounded bad. <laughs> got picked up, met this dude. And I was like, oh, hello. Was <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so in 2007, I moved back to Australia. I My last race, I crossed the finish line, threw my running spikes in the trash can <laughs> <laughs> and actually just... Caught a cab to the airport and booked a flight home. Never dramatic, Nikki. Never yeah, dramatic. It was, I just, <laughs> you just had I, ju- I just had enough. I I was forced to do races I didn't want to do, um, and I didn't do well in them. And I was just, I was just done. I was just done. And there's a lot. We can go through that later. But yeah, there's a lot of other reasons. And then, you know, I came back to Australia and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had in, all intentions of like becoming a lawyer and being boring. Uh, and then <laughs> I decide just took a job before I, while I was working it out in a clothes shop uh, just to pay the rent. And like the third day I was there, a guy came in and he was opening a nightclub and wanted to talk to me. And anyway, so we started doing his marketing promotions for him just as a little nightclub thing. Um, I met a guy named Bodie, fresh off Big Brother. <laughs> we still I call him Bodie from Big Brother. Merci- mercilessly. Well, can't speak. Mercilessly for... I still do. So 11 years, now 12 <laughs> years now about it. And anyway, he, um, him and I worked our backsides off on um, building up this brand and building up a business plan on, on this nightclub. And look, it was an amazing success. We ended up having running three, some pretty big charity events and stuff. And it was, look, it was a great experience. And the marketing systems and the design and the, everything like that we used uh, at the time, was very different to what other people were doing, so it was, mm. it was good. Probably, it looked like a real party boy lifestyle, but it was actually a lot more business. Yeah, and forecasting it was, I mean, and events, sitting and in an numbers. office all day. Yeah, yeah. I remember how much work there was behind the scenes during the day because you were like, oh, "I've got to be in the office from nine to five. and I was like, "What are you doing five days a week from nine to five to organize one night a week that you go out?" But yeah, it it showed me a lot how much thought i mean you're planning a full event every week and yeah, there's so much yeah. that goes into budgeting and organizing you know even just wages and staff and rostering and and putting a thousand people through that venue every week was was wasn't, wasn't as easy as it seems anyway and you know <laughs> so you were a bit of a late bloomer in the party scene because of your athletics career keeping you away from alcohol and not so much girls as yana said not so much boys but definitely from the partying scene but i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure some of us remember that we gave it a good crack for a yeah, little while there yeah i definitely there. <laughs> made up for it for those um Burke house years that's for sure uh i definitely made up for it look to be honest my last year of athletics i kind of lost the love and i was enjoying the life in england a lot 
and I gave it a nudge there as well. <laughs> you but, worked in a bar, didn't you? Yeah, for a little bit, yeah. And look, two of the guys that I were at Loughborough Uni with and trained with there are my, in my bridal party. So, um, And so I, is Bodhi now. And so is Bodhi, yeah. So he's representing the big brother component. Uh, <laughs> so that gave you your start as a business person and obviously gave you your fiancé, which is super cute. Um, but Can't your uh-huh. Can't win them all. <laughs> so your first business there was called Exit Forward, which was the media and yeah, the yeah. So that component. Kind of, yeah. So Exit Forward quickly became Maybe Tomorrow because um, business partners went in different directions and I did it on my own. Uh, so that was started quite early so when we still had the nightclub. Uh, so we started because everyone kept asking us who was doing our marketing, who was doing our design, all that type of stuff. So we just started selling our services. And from there, that evolved and changed into a full service agency. So that was uh, around ten, oh, just over ten years ago. So yeah, so that was that was look that business evolved completely. It, I never knew what it was going to be when it started. Mm. I never knew now that we would be turning over fifty odd websites a year and like 50, 60 odd branding jobs a year. Like and working with clients, like we worked on McLaren F ones uh, social campaign last year for the. Grand Prix, uh, done a lot of work for like Crown Casino, Malibu, did some design work for Obama before the 2012 election. So that was amazing. Yeah, we've worked on a lot of projects. So it's a very interesting business that one. So that's now, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Nick's current creative, full service creative and digital agency is called the Bushy Creative, but that started as um, Exit Forward, then maybe Tomorrow, and now Bushy. And the coolest thing, I think, which Nick really plays down a lot of the time, but which I've always been just totally in awe of, the fact that he's been able to, over a decade where there has been so much change in that landscape, he's been able to keep up and or keep ahead of everything because... He's self-taught everything. So whenever a new platform comes out or a new code comes out or a new skill is needed, he just figures it out. You have the most remarkable ability to teach yourself new things and started Bushy, you know, without any photography, videography, coding, web, software, anything like that. And in the course of 10 years have done, you know, even you've even gone full tech. You've had a tech arm that launched two apps and that you you know you presented at TechCrunch in New York like seriously it's very hard to get Nick to appreciate his achievements but there's so many things that he's done just learning it on his own so tell us about how you went from not knowing anything in in the creative and digital space to now coding websites by yourself and developing apps what well, started off we didn't have the budget to make our own sites and because I learned code when I was quite young it was obviously my job to work on that and Look, it was fine. We It was the uh, start of the real WordPress empire. So I think we started on like WordPress 1 or something like that. I think it's at, just hit 5.02. So WordPress, we, we were building WordPress sites in 2007, 2000, oh, 2008, sorry. And look, it, it just, it's an evolution. Those sites were horrible. They were terrible. <laughs> like MySpace oh styles. My God, no, worse than that. <laughs> but look, we... we we did them for nothing, pretty much as well. Like they were, I'd, we, we taught, learnt by doing. It was really, it was a, it was a difficult financial time to do it, but look, it was great and it worked for us. Like I believe you, you can. There's so many skills you can teach yourself. I, I mean, I recently needed to learn something. I couldn't find someone that could do it in the level I wanted, so I taught myself. It was a new code language, and even when we worked on our artificial intelligence startup, I mean, we had to be proficient in understanding what we we're talking about. So. 
So tell us about that. Nick also launched a well, one app called InstaSnoop, which was one of the very first apps that plugged into Instagram's API and meant that you could scroll through people's feeds and not have any ability to accidentally like or comment or touch anything. You could just scroll without, you know, any risk of anything happening. Um, and he sold that successfully. It made Mashable, it made Yahoo. It made- yeah, top five on Mashable. Um, and then the other one was Heliox. Heliox was was the big one though. Heliox was a seed funded startup that I came up with, which is which is an artificial intelligence platform. So we did uh, predictive ordering systems and uh, a thing called prescriptive analytics. Mm-hmm. Now it's a bit boring to explain here, so I won't. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty, it's really cool though. <laughs> pretty amazing system we built. Uh, yeah, we we raised two rounds of funding, uh, a lot of grants. A lot of late nights, a lot of travel, a lot of conferences around the world. And the one of the last conferences I presented at was at TechCrunch in San Francisco. Guys, he came home with such cool Amazon kit. He had like all these Amazon T-shirts and water bottles. Yeah, and Amazon like, Baptist. Yeah. yeah, like the nerdiest stuff. It was like that TV show, Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, and look, we met a lot of the, the guys that – the money behind Facebook, Instagram, all those type of guys. I've had a lot of sit-downs with those guys in Silicon Valley and uh, unsuccessfully, but it was, a, it was a good experience anyway. And I'm not even up to Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar yet, and we still have another business under your belt, which like, I think until you really sit down and think about it, you don't realize how much you've actually achieved. I'm so proud of you. So the other one is an aerial asset capture business that takes images out of helicopters Yes, that so, you've been doing with another one of your groomsmen, your best man, Yeah, that's right. So that was another one. We were having a pretty tough time at the nightclub and you just moved to Paris and I needed some cash. So we saw this random job for aerial photographers. So I may or may not have said that, you, I was, <laughs> said I was a proficient photographer and that I was experienced in aircraft photography. Uh, anyway, I went to the trial, taught myself the camera, from the manual online on the way there. And um, yeah, two days later, I was heading the program in Queensland. That. You were like, I've never even touched one of these yeah, cameras been, before. I'd, I'd never <laughs> been in a helicopter. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. Actually, it sounds really interesting. It's really boring. So what you do is you <laughs> sit in a helicopter with a very, very big camera and lens and you take photos of power poles. So the first job was to see all the damaged power poles in after Cyclone Yazi. So it was Cyclone Relief. Uh, which was pretty cool, sitting in Early Beach in five-star resorts and flying in helicopters all day. That was pretty cool, and the pay was pretty un- incredible, enough for me to fly back and forth to Paris a fair bit. So it was pretty exciting. And then from there, we ended up tendering, and now we have the contract. Who ended up tendering? Who ended up writing that tender? Yeah, you may have written that tender. <laughs> but Like 4 p.m. It has to be in by 5 p.m. Yeah, well, I wasn't even in town, was I? I was no, you're away. <laughs> yeah, but look, we've got the we have the contract now, so now we manage monitor through some big big multinational companies where their photography arm to monitor all the, the power lines that supply uh, Victoria and yeah, <laughs> so most random. of Victoria's power. So we got a team of five that are up in flying around in helicopters every day. So yeah, it's good. So when I call Nick a serial entrepreneur, you can now understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. 
Uh, sorry to interrupt, but speaking of matcha, today's episode is actually sponsored by Matcha Maiden. And by sponsored, I mean it's our business. So I just decided to throw in a discount code to see if anyone's actually paying attention. Lol. If you didn't already know, matcha is simply green tea leaves ground into a fine powder, giving it 137 times the antioxidants of regular green tea. And it's super versatile in its powdered form and easy to use. So you'll get 20% off when you use Yay20 at the checkout for the next week at www.matchamaiden.com. Matcha Maidens, obviously you've talked to death about that across the series of this. But I don't think people have heard you talk about it before. Yeah, well, well, you haven't heard me talk before. But look, it's um, I don't talk very often. Uh, yeah, so Matcha Maiden was great. Matcha Maiden was a really interesting one because I'm so used to startups. I was like, no, oh, this is easy. We've got this. So obviously Bushy Creative designed all the brand packaging, all that type of stuff, the web. And it wasn't until we sold out of our product in the first few days I realized how different different having a product is, like how different the world of FMCG, which is fast-moving consumer goods, is compared to having an app or having uh, a software system. Like it's it's completely different. And it's it means that just say you run out of stock or run out of product, in tech you just pay more. Mm. You just put more hands on it and you get it in mm. product. You can't I can't make those tea leaves grow faster in Uji in Japan. I can't make the processing <laughs> You have tried. I have tried. <laughs> I can't make the processing like I can't make that stone grinding grinding ancient stone grinding faster. Faster. Yeah. It's the way it is and I can't make the plane and the trucks and everything drive fly faster. I know that I've got a supply chain and logistics setup that is far far more complex than than anyone can imagine that's not in that particular environment. Mm. It's crazy. Mm. So one of the things that is most interesting, I think, about the two of us is that we've been such an incredible business partnership because we have such different skills and Mm. such different backgrounds and they're really compatible with each other and we kind of fill each other's gaps in a really compatible way and then have also got such a strong personal relationship that the difficulties that you encounter in working with your partner We've been really good at navigating those. Sure. One of the most interesting things about us is that I took such a conventional two degrees, so much like freaking seven years at uni, doing everything in a very, very conventional, predictable, single-focused way. And you've had such a diverse, interesting, exciting and dynamic career. That's been the opposite. But one of the things you're doing this year, which I'm so excited about, is your MBA. Yeah, and yeah. So... The response a lot of people have given you is, why do you need that? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been at uni since 2007. So I think back, for a lot of people, your experience is... Yeah, like going it, back to you university don't need at, it. at 11 years later at 34 is quite um, daunting, I guess. But I don't know. I think you're never too late to learn. I think upskilling is great. There's a few... As I've got another business concept that I really want to launch and having an MBA is crucial to that. Yeah, so... Look, it's yeah, it's it, like I can I understand why people are saying oh why do you need it mm. like uh, all that type of stuff mm. and you can quite easily say that oh your law my law degree I didn't even need to do my law degree now and I can do what I'm doing I can pretty much assure you that if you didn't learn to study for seven years you wouldn't have had the sticking power to stay with a lot of things that mm. you've done and all mm. that type of stuff so absolutely I think there's a lot of value in it but look at look it's daunting and let's see. 
a couple of years' time, whether I'm still as chirpy about it as I am. <laughs> I just think sometimes reflecting on it, we're quite an interesting contrast between like the grass is always greener, you know, like we've had such different pathways up until now. And for me, I'm like, you are more qualified in my mind to learn and consult and teach people about opening their mind because that's people often say, like, what gave you the courage to leave your job? And it's like, I'd been around someone who's created skills and businesses yeah. out of nothing and who's taught me not to be so risk averse like that you've been such a positive influence on in that sense but I also think it's a really great example of if you if it matters to you it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks if it matters to you that you have that degree and that you've like you're solidifying your learning then who cares what anyone else thinks whether you need it or not oh, I think who cares what anyone else thinks anyway full stop but <laughs> yes that is clear sometimes yeah. <laughs> well there's a whole string of highlights and I can't even wait to see what happens when you go back and start to consolidate some of those learnings with an amazing cohort it could be people. interesting to put the learnings of running six or seven businesses over the last 11 years, 12 years into some structured, a bit more structured learning. I mean, like I've never worked in a corporate environment. Mm. Like my my last job was just a uni job. Mm. It was never, I've never had a formal, formal job. I've always been self-employed or self-unemployed. Like <laughs> Self-fun-employed. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that way. I don't, my, 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 my stuff's not quite as fun entrepreneur as you. But. <laughs> I think you bring the fun with you, Nick. You're obviously not seizing your yay. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so it must be really hard to choose between all of those things. But what are some of the things that you're most proud of? Which I know you are alarmingly self-critical in a way that sometimes frustrates me because there are so many incredibly amazing achievements that you've had. But looking back, are there any that stand out to you as like the highlight moments? Sure. I mean, match your milk bar. That first three months, I think we took a million dollars in our first three months. That was a big highlight. Our initial capital investment, our and the time and effort that went into the start of that business to see that blossom like it did, that was that was a big highlight. Mm. Like we didn't have the budget to build that cafe, so I went in there and demolished it myself. Like and, and to see the hard work that Mark put in, the hard work that you put in, hard work that I put in come to fruition like that was pretty awesome obviously the same with maiden i mean match a maiden seeing how that business exploded and allowed you to leave a job that you weren't happy with at the time and give you that employment and and change the way your brain thought Mm. from was was pretty awesome too that's definitely a highlight um working with Brands like McLaren, working with brands like Crown Casino and all these type of guys is always a big highlight. Like it's always good knowing you've been chosen by those type of guys. Mm. And then even seeing brands like Nana Judy. Another groomsman, by the way. Uh, but Coleman. those guys seeing what they've done and watching their business journey where we've helped them and watching what they've done go from a small little operation in their garage through to this global business that they are. Just seeing what our friends and stuff have done as well, that how little things we can do and have done to help them and obviously helped us as well is obviously a big highlight in my career so far. And a really interesting question that we talk about quite a lot is we have a lot of conversations about what success means to us and whether or not we feel successful. And I know that I kind of have a a really low bar for what I think is super exciting because I'm just like a crazy person. Do you feel successful? (laughs) Guys, I'm going really deep on him. It doesn't Um, look like it on the surface, but one really interesting thing about Nick is that he's actually quite shy. So that's why it's taken this long to get him on the podcast. And now I'm like grilling him on stuff that's really intense. He's like wriggling around in his seat. But I want you to get to know him. 
I don't know. I don't like. It depends what you define measuring success at. I don't call my athletics career successful um, because I know what I could have done and it doesn't match what is down on paper. So I know that's very, very self-critical, but it's it's true. Like I didn't achieve what I know my ability, my training and everything showed I should have, mm. right? If, I, if my training showed that I should have been a mid-level athlete, and I be, and my results showed that I was a mid-level athlete, that's a success. Do you know what I mean? Like you achieved everything you could achieve out of that. In my opinion, that's success. You're never going to win the Olympics. So. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to win the Olympics. Like that's mm. the main reason I quit. But anyway. But you thought you could have won more than you did. I, I should have done a lot more than I did. Yeah. And um, it frustrates me. Uh, anyway, so then, then you've got the businesses. Like I don't think I'm unsuccessful. Like I definitely don't. But... The moment you say, oh, I'm successful, I think it's when you take your – for someone like my person, I take your foot off the accelerator and mm. all you need is to slow down a little bit in, in my game and you're very quickly not relevant. So that actually leads really nicely into the next segment, which is called an ATA. And I think a big – this is obviously about the challenges that get in the way of you seizing your yay. And I think a really big one for you is those standards and how high your bar is for success and – I think part of it is, and we've seen, I've seen it a lot in um, athletics and elite sport that because winning in like a single person sport is what you def- it's so binary. It's defined as either you win or silver is losing. Mm. How has that been for you kind of moving out of a world where it's so metric based and metric orientated to trying to feel successful or find journey or find a success outside of those boundaries? Like, I know you find that really hard. If you're not winning, you're like, well, I'm failing. And I'm like, but there's a whole spectrum of stuff in between. But I think that's why a lot of sports people move out of, you know, they or f- finish their career because they've retired mm. and then find it really hard to feel that same rush. Yeah, of course. It's very difficult to feel that rush. I mean, like Yana said, that feeling when you're racing is so different. But I spent so much time injured that I got used to not feeling that feeling. But there's a lot of athletes at my level that have gone on to I mean, commit suicide after mm. athletics careers. Mm. I mean, I think because three of... or four, like over the last four years. And it's, and it's scary. And But I get it. I understand it. And I'm glad I stopped when I did. It's 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 different. Like what, what metric are you chasing? I mean, the metric that I've always, and I don't like chasing it, that I do chase it is a financial one. Mm. And I've hit some fantastic financial metrics in my time, but I've also seen people hit ridiculously crazier ones in not doing anything that I think is really like clever, unique, different, or they've just it's been an accident. And I'm I'm happy for them. Well done. Like, mm. but it's I don't know. It's, 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 it's success is a very difficult one for me to measure. And, mm. Mm. and do you find you know my favorite quote is doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will, and self doubt is a really big part of CCA. Do you find that that endless platform for comparison that the digital world creates is a challenge for you? And oh, it's a massive challenge. I mean. You can sit there and, like, like you look at a relationship counsellor, doesn't necessarily have a great relationship. I mean, they can give the best mm. advice in the world, doesn't mean they can listen to it. And I'm a bit like that. I'll, I'll give fantastic advice to someone. Do I listen to it? Not necessarily. I mean, <laughs> I can consult for small businesses all the time and I tell them to do things that I'm not great at doing. Mm. Um, that's why I've got people to do that for me like you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I mean... 
my self-doubt has obviously put has made things a lot more difficult. I mean, and look, it's been there's there's a lot of factors behind that. I mean, I've got a lot of external factors outside business to think about with family and all that type of stuff. Both my parents have been quite unwell over the last ten years, and both quite fragile. So, like, you sit there and I don't have a safety blanket. I don't have all this type of stuff that a lot of people do have, and lot of people that have a safety blanket don't even know they have a safety blanket. So mm. while I'm, I wouldn't put myself in a risk averse category. I have, have to be at some stage, and it, it's that with a bit of self doubt can, as an entrepreneur, can be quite dangerous mm. um, uh, because you half ass things. But I oh know I think we've done okay so far. Yeah, I think we've done really well. But it has been really interesting to watch both of us have our own self-doubt challenges. And also, I think because externally we project a lot of confidence because we do have it in some areas. Yeah, sure. But I think it is also good to share with other people that behind the scenes there is a lot of comparison. Look, you can't be on all the time. I mean... And a lot of imposter syndrome for both of us. Like we're not qualified in our our businesses both started from experimenting and being on a trend and using our creative brains which are really switched on but I think both of us sometimes are like what we don't we've not got no background in FMCG like it does creep into your mind sometimes yeah I get that and so a big thing that I have also noticed with you with that whole need to achieve and grow and keep up with you know the industry that's so fast moving is burnout Mm. it's very difficult for you to take a break Firstly, because you have such a switch on, curious, interested mind. Like you can tell, I'm sure if you haven't figured it out by now, Nick has a very, very curious mind and loves learning new things. And if he can't figure out how to do something, he'll sit there for hours and hours and just try and master this new skill. But that doesn't leave a lot of time for your brain to just kind of be still and needing to be on your phone all the time for your businesses and always be digitally connected. You know, most of our friends have seen you hanging out halfway out of car at a wedding or something like trying to get signal to just solve a problem. How do you find, you know, that need to be on all the time you get quite exhausted from it don't you yeah so it's one of the th- reasons that we've been successful like with our business is being always accessible but it's also a real downfall with i think modern society i mean i remember growing up someone would call dad for a work job and no one would be home during the day or there'd be no one in the office and he'd just be an answering machine that he'd check at six o'clock and he'd call them back in the morning i mean that doesn't happen anymore mm. like there's it's no an always-on mentality, and that always-on mentality is hard. And I mean, especially when we're running, we're running sites for Australian Parliament House. We run sites for, I mean, 130 of the biggest lawyers in the country. Like that is a 24/7 job. Mm. Like if there's a bug or something goes down or something like that, it's my phone number that they'll call, not my team and stuff like that. Because my team won't necessarily be there. I'll be the only one that's going to answer that call. So. It does get a bit difficult. And, like, I mean, Matcha Maiden's like that too. It's a global business. Mm. We've got warehouses in Greece. We've got warehouses in the US. We ship to pretty much every country. Like, it's it's always on. It's really, it is, can be really difficult. I mean, getting away, like, we're sitting right now, we're sitting at a beach house, just had a surf this morning, but then spent all day on our laptops. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah. and right now I know I've got emails to respond to. I know, to. I feel like you're getting jittery. <laughs> yeah. I haven't sat, sat this still for a long time. <laughs> And that's another thing is that I know you don't you don't really like to sit still and a lot of people think that to get downtime and to switch off you have to sit still and you have to meditate and you have to do all these things but I'm learning that even just between us we're quite different in what it takes for us to get downtime you actually find moving to be more of a meditation than sitting still yeah, so that's right so how do you get downtime like lego has been a really big thing for you for <laughs> yeah, your mental health yeah it's great and paul oh look the dogs the, paul's just 
incredible. Probably my best mate. So he's amazing. I'm the third wheel, guys. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> and look, exercise is huge. I'm, I'm lucky I've got some great friends to train with and work out with. And anyone that follows me on Instagram probably thinks I'm a personal trainer or something. But, and they're <laughs> confused at who this guy talking on, on uh, the podcast is. But Look, your abs are pretty famous. I'm not lie. I get a lot <laughs> of questions tell about myself. them. <laughs> because I train when I'm procrastinating, you're like, this guy procrastinates a lot. <laughs> No, look, I, because of like growing up the way I did and stuff like that, gym and training's always been a big part of my life. It's a really good way to challenge myself as well um, and try and think that Father Time's not around. It's like trying to do things I used to do when I was a kid and it's great until the next day when you can't walk. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you love to push it pretty hard. We were working out the other day with our friend Danny Kennedy, who you've heard on the podcast already and on his own incredible podcast. And just towards the end of it, Nick was like, I'm going to be back, guys. I've got to go. We're spewing for half an hour. Just pushed it a little bit too hard. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us how you do keep in shape. Like, as I mentioned, you're pretty sure. famous for your abs and never having a top on, which I don't mind. <laughs> so, look, But, you know, tell everyone what it takes to keep that way. Food, sleep, water. Well, that's interesting. So I don't train for that. I train to be fit. Mm. All right. So I know it's a byproduct. It's my body adapts pretty well. I you always also has. have an extraordinary metabolism. <laughs> I was going to say when you said diet, my diet's not amazing. Like it's not that bad. I forget to eat a fair bit, but like I know how are we even together? Who forgets to eat? I I'm just, like counting down to the next meal. Yeah, look, it's, my big problem at the moment is sleep. I don't sleep enough, but um, fitness for me is a big big thing for my mental health and i get in a rut when i don't train and i think a lot of you would get this too what it is is when i'm not training i'm tired because i'm not training but i can't train because i'm tired yeah like that vicious cycle so i'll sit there and i'm like i wake up in the morning god i need to train today i'm too tired but i'm tired because i haven't been training so what do i do so you just gotta the only way to do it is push through it but i try and train i don't know six seven times a week and that sounds like a lot (laughs) But we used to train double that. And, yeah, and, for a professional athlete, that's But it's also a break. So I'll get yeah. up at 7 o'clock in the morning and I'll work. Until midnight. But I'll work until – I usually do battery cycles, <laughs> let my laptop die, and then go plug in and work. So then when it dies again, I'll go to the gym while it's charging and then I'll come home, have dinner, and then work again. So mm. Yeah, to be fair, it is your only break during the day. It is, yeah. So it's it, – look, I, I enjoy it. And I've, got, and I've got great people I train with that I, I enjoy – yeah i mean <laughs> amazing business people amazing interesting people to work even some of my team alan jimmy yeah. all our mates <laughs> so actually one of our um one of my followers asked what are the non-negotiable moments before you kick start the day do you have anything in the morning other than looking over at your beautiful fiance anyone that's seen sarah sleep no that's a lie <laughs> i was waiting um, for that <laughs> look, i'm not a sleeping beauty no, look, so one of my friends told me a while back that there's a couple of things you got to do when you have a dog and when you come home from work, you need to, and when you walk in that door and they get really excited, your first priority is to give them all the attention you've got for that 30 seconds because that been waiting for that moment all day. And I think that's super important. You come home from work and you're on the phone or come home from work and you're busting to do a wee or, or need to send an email, you know what, you, that's the, you can wait 30 seconds and you can give that dog that attention because he's been waiting for that all day. You're his whole world. So that I do that in the morning when I wake up in the morning. and um, Paul always brings us a little toy in the morning. Yeah, I mean, like, it's good like... Good morning, guys. He sits there and waits for us to wake up. So when <laughs> so I wake up and I, if I'm grumpy and go and jump in the shower and go to work, it's like, 
it just ruined his morning. So <laughs> one so of my favorite my things about Nick is that everything has a voice. Even inanimate objects have a voice and a personality. So like every little toy or his Lego, everything's a character. Like life is never boring because everything is always made into something interesting. He's got such a curious brain. I love it. <laughs> okay, so the last segment, as you know, is called Play TA. And we all talk so much about what we do, what we're achieving, what we're, you know, what output we're creating. And you're particularly hard on yourself with that. Like, I haven't been productive today. I haven't gotten this much stuff done today. And I think that's really often separated from whether it makes you happy. We talk about this a lot. And also whether you're making time for who you are aside from that. And I think for the start of our relationship, as a business partnership, we kind of let our personal life get consumed by our business and our job and that dream. But we also realized, you know, a couple of years in that you have to have dreams outside of that for your life. Otherwise, we leave it 10 years to get married and things get pushed back. So how do you... Okay, first question, do you get happiness from your job? And is it what you'd do if you had no money or no time constraints? Does it make you happy? <laughs> and if you didn't have money and time constraints, what would you do? And I think it would be something along the lines of aeronautical engineering. Something. Well, with I mean, space that's what I studied. All everything I studied for at school was going towards aeronautical engineering. But look, I don't know. I mean, would I be happy doing that? Would I be able to spend my time with my golden retriever and and I don't know, travel and hang out and just do what I do? I don't think I would. I don't. Would I be who I am today? I don't think I would be. But anyway, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> Do you get happiness from your job? Is it what you'd be doing? Okay, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> Obviously because your business partner is so amazing. Oh, that job. Yeah. <laughs> no, just all your jobs. <laughs> um, so with Bushy, I mean, I love working with startups. I love it. But I find it very difficult to charge what it's worth mm. because I want to help people. Mm. I want to help them all the time. And I know what it's worth. I know what I should charge most of the time, but I don't charge that most of the time because... I'm trying to help people. And then the jobs that I do do to pay the bills, like the, the more corporate, bigger jobs, I do find quite mind-numbing. Sitting in meetings, it should be emails. It's your pet peeve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a meeting that's an, that should have been an email or a text message is a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> but it's fine. Look, it's fine. We, we, I do like FaceTime. FaceTime's good. However, would I be doing it if it was my own thing? I, you know, I... I I enjoy that aspect of it. So I think I'll always be wanting to help startups and help small businesses in some aspect because I do genuinely enjoy that. I don't enjoy doing it for a paycheck though. It's not really something like... Mm. like It's a, like forced creativity. Like sometimes right. you enjoy doing projects that have no time limit. That's why can... with photography, I mean, videography mainly is one of those things that I we did a lot of that and we really enjoy it. But when we're doing it on someone else's brief and you lose that creativity I mean it's not enjoyable mm. it's boring but I also think one of the things about you that is at once super challenging but also probably super fulfilling is the fact that you do have so many different things going on at once I can't imagine your brain being happy if you were just doing one job see like only one yeah, job it's fine. you'd be I more mean, focused but it's not like one of those things where you got five businesses at the same time and you can linearly split your week into five it doesn't mm. work like that when one's busy all five are busy. I was going to ask what yeah, your time management I mean, hacks are, but I was like, he's just got no strategy. <laughs> I've tried everything. Right. It's the nature of your work, though. I it think. is. I mean, like, you'll sit there and plan what you're going to do on Monday and 40 things will come up and you don't get to start any of it. But anyway. And so 
do you do anything just for fun? What makes you yay? Just for fun. Oh, jeez. Lego, Lego, Lego. I'm trying to learn guitar at the moment. There's two guitars lying on the couch right now. There's a big Harry Potter puzzle as well. Yeah. Yeah, look, puzzles, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Won't go go too far there. I mean, cycling. I mean, enjoying cycling at the moment. I've become that Lycra dude. Oh, my God. When he started, I was like, you cannot wear the Lycra. Of course, he came out. I'm only doing it for the Lycra. (laughs) No. I'm enjoying that, so if you know, wants to go for a ride, let me know. You're also a huge joker, which I absolutely love, and I think that's something that brings you a lot of joy in all your friendships is you know that you're in the circle of trust and Nick loves you once he starts giving you a really hard time and throwing things at your face. Like that's when I- you know you've made the inner circle. <laughs> and just walked into the room before and I got her in the face with a tomato sauce bottle. Like, so. <laughs> So when I first met Nick's dad, it totally made sense. His dad's actually born on April Fool's Day, which makes even more sense. But the first time I met him, I was at their place in Tassie and Nick's mum had just gotten Facebook and she hadn't added anyone yet. And so it just said, Irene has no friends. And he zoomed in and printed it out and put it on the fridge. And I was like, wow, Nick really makes sense now. So if he starts throwing ice cubes at your head across a, you know, a bar or something at an event, you know that you're in the inner circle. <laughs> what else? Playing with the dog, going for a surf? Yeah. Look, going for a surf nowadays is a lot more stressful because I'm not a great surfer anymore. It takes me a while to get out the water paddle. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's a lot less uh, enjoyable as it used to be. Um, even going, for, going to the gym, playing with Paul is always a big one. I do enjoy my Lego, I'm not going to lie. We're also huge Netflix binges. So we love like our one of our little things that we do at the end of the day is our, when our laptops finally close, we get rewarded with a new episode of some kind of show that we can only watch. Let's be real. We watch the same TV series over and over We years. do, but sometimes we have shows that we won't watch another episode without each other, except I always sneak the next one and get in trouble. Yeah, but she sneaks ahead and falls asleep. <laughs> So it's just so stupid. Just watch an old episode and fall asleep. (laughs) And another one that you've been doing lately is a lot of extreme adventures and a lot for charity, actually. So our dear friend, Samantha Gash, you've been um, to India with her recently. Yeah, so the first one we did was we ran across the Himalayas, 220 kilometres. I rode a push bike next to her. Then I spent... I think three and a half weeks in India when she ran from one side of India to the other, 3,700 k's. We did that for World Vision. I'd run 35, 40k a day with that. It was a bit of fun. And we're just working on a new project now. Oh, we did Simpson Desert. We ran across Simpson Desert as well. But um, working on a new project now, which will, will be interesting. We just were in India for a few days a couple of weeks ago and uh, fly off again, I think two weeks time for the next one yeah so oh that sounds amazing she's such a little pocket rocket yeah she's a legend she's one of my bridesmaids and her little harry will be um at the wedding he's so cute i love him (laughs) yeah that that'll that'll um little harry's an interesting one because if you're close and reasonably close to having kids like i am sitting on a flight with a seven month year old seven month old baby It's a rude awakening. From Melbourne to Singapore to Mumbai, then spending 40 hours in Mumbai with him and then jumping back on that plane and heading back to Australia. That'll <laughs> work out whether you want to have kids or have a vasectomy. <laughs> Luckily, he's an amazing little boy. He's and, such an uh, amazing little boy. Made me really excited, so it's good. 
we also have a nephew who's one and a half and Nick gets really clucky. It's super cute. Mm -hmm. So the third last question is another one from um, one of our followers who submitted a question, which was, what are five things that you love about your beautiful fiance, which was very kind of her? (laughs) And I wanted to hear it. So tell me. You made that question up. (laughs) Yeah, it was at Spoonful of Sarah. I submitted it. (laughs) Five things. Jeez. That, that, so that G- no 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 sorry that was how do I narrow it down to five? Oh, and thanks. That. Good Look, save. Sa- Good save. Sarah's brain's pretty awesome. Like someone that ducks McRob and perfect score in her her VCE or TCTAR, what do they call it? That's pretty incredible. So it's pretty. Her languages are pretty amazing too. Speaking, I mean, seven languages is. No mean feat. Not many people know that, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. She's willing to try everything, even when she's not very good at it. <laughs> it definitely gives things a red hot oh, crack. She does give it a red hot crack. <laughs> like surfing this morning. Oh my goodness me! Trying to surf with her this morning, I had to put the board back on the beach and try and grab her by the hand and pull her out there. <laughs> but yeah, so look, she and I respect that. A lot of people, especially in this whole Instagram age, are scared to make themselves look stupid. I mean, Sarah's definitely not scared to make herself look stupid. Um, <laughs> I love looking stupid. But do you know what I mean? Like it's that whole, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. like, oh, no, I can't do that. I've, like, oh, I'll look silly. I mean, who cares if you look stupid? Just enjoy your life. You know? <laughs> um, your spirit of adventure is pretty awesome. Even, well, that is from you. Yeah. And I think I, I don't know if it was a great idea teaching you that because <laughs> sitting there looking at paying for a wedding and you're like, do you want to go to Vietnam next week? <laughs> I was so You did it. Your fault. I was not adventurous or open-minded when we first started dating. I was like super structured and really conservative in some areas. And look, the way you care for others is pretty awesome. I mean, you do more for other people than most people know. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How are you feeling about getting married? Yeah, no, it's good. It's exciting. I forgot I was in the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so just to finish up, three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation. We've already covered your tattoos, Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, so. You've got a bushy, so what else? Three things. Three things, okay. I'm really bad at computer games. (laughs) I can write them. But I can't do them. Oh, my God. I remember I got I bought a PlayStation and I got Call of Duty because everyone was playing. This is a few years ago. It's about... Oh, know, this is uh, when we rescued the seven Russian years president. Ago. Oh, my God. That was the best. And I spent <laughs> hours trying to finish this first level of this thing. And it was so easy. Like, for everyone's just, like, super easy. And we were two-player, by the way. So we two, two of played us were shooting. It. Like, I couldn't do them. I, I think I've done it once in my own since. But two of us doing this game. And we spent, we're up to like four o'clock in the morning. Just to get past level one. <laughs> yeah, I suck at them. <laughs> I used to be okay as a kid. It doesn't make sense though, because oh, so you're so good at, at everything tech. Yeah, no, I'm bad at it. Um, what else? Well, Lego doesn't come up in a lot of podcasts, to be honest. Um, so we actually have a section in our house now for all his Legos, and he's bought extra little characters, little stormtroopers, to go around the Millennium Falcon and position them so that they look like they're actually running <laughs> towards you're not, it. You're not doing my reputation any good. <laughs> I want people to know this stuff about you. Yeah, awesome. The quiet Nicky boy in my stories who never talks. This is the real him behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So that. Um, and what else? Uh, Spiders and needles. Trigger. Yeah. 
Yeah, spiders and needles aren't my favourites. When we went to India, it all came out. We'd been together for a couple of years and I found out he hadn't had any injections. He'd wagged school for all the school ones and literally needed 15 injections before we could go. And to get them done, I had to take red frogs as lollies to give him sugar yeah. afterwards because he'd fight. Like when I was running, I used to, because I had a, quite a low lung capacity, I used to have a lot of lactic acid, lactic testing and stuff like that done. So I got my thumb like a pin cushion for a while. So I kind of became a bit phobic of needles. And I just hate spiders. The things, like, you never know which direction they're going to go in. <laughs> it's like, that, like... That. I've become the spider rescuer. No, but this is the thing about them. Like, snakes, I grew up around lots of things that can kill you. But spiders, you know, like, which eh, way, eh, eh. you know which way a spider's going to... Yeah, a snake's going to go. You know which way a beetle's going to go. Yeah, it may deviate to on, like, 180 degrees. But a spider is literally always ready. Always <laughs> ready. There was a stand-up comedian that said something. I can't remember who it was, but he's just like, have you ever seen a spider that wasn't ready to go? <laughs> and it can go in any direction. <laughs> oh, dear. You can't sneak up. You cannot sneak up on a spider. No, no, cannot. <laughs> no. Anyway. And last question, since you know I love motivational quotes so much, what is your favourite motivational quote? Oh, yeah, I've got it. Look, I've got some written on my arm. It's Tolkien. Pretty nerdy, babe. All that is gold does not glitter, and not all those who wander are lost. Amazing. There's actually more lines to it, but they're the best ones. <laughs> on the sleeve that you've got. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> well, thank the you so much, on Nikki. My <laughs> thank you so much for joining us to seize your yay. I know that you don't love coming out from behind the scenes, so I'm super grateful, and I hope everyone learned something interesting about my fiance. Well, we could have kept going for ages, but I actually cut loads of our rambling out, but I hope you got a little insight into how Nicky Boy seizes his yay. We actually forgot heaps of stuff or just like skimmed over it or just didn't get to it because it was only an hour after all. But a couple of things are the fact that Nick is actually spelt N-I-C without the K because in prep there were so many Nicks in his class that he wanted to be different. So he dropped the K off himself, which I love. I think he was individual right from the beginning. Another thing is that his mum, I'm not sure if you mentioned, I can't remember, was the first Asian adopted into Australia from Singapore. She was 13 years old, speaks seven languages. I don't know if she remembers any now, but the funny thing is that obviously I am also Asian and adopted into Australia. And when I when he first told me, I thought that is so unlikely and so weird a coincidence that my mum even sat me down and had a talk and was like, Sarah, boys will say things just to get certain things from you. So just be careful. But then he obviously produced his four foot 11 Asian mum and I had to believe him. <laughs> Also, another weird thing is my mum's name is Elizabeth and she grew up in a town called Alexandra and obviously my name's Sarah, but my middle name is Alexandra. Nick's sister's name is Sarah and her middle name is Elizabeth. So, so many random other things that meant we just think we're a match made in heaven. So anyway, Nick got pretty vulnerable in this. So if you want to give him some love, please screenshot and share as you are so wonderful at doing, tagging both of us and let us know what you thought. And if you haven't done so already, I would be so grateful if you'd leave me a review as that gives me so much yay and helps keep the yay ball rolling. The Australian Podcast Awards are also coming up and Seize the Yay is up for Best New Podcaster and Best Interview Podcast. So if you get a spare moment to vote quickly, again, it would mean the world. You can find the link on my Insta at spoonful underscore of underscore Sarah. And I hope you're having a great start to the year and are seizing your yay.